know-it-all, according to Greg, a sentiment shared by most folks in Sea Haven. That's bullshit and you know it, Boudreaux. Jasper snapped, his large head going flush. Okay, Greg said, signaling Denny to lower the cherry picker back down onto the slick grass of Major's Field. Just don't move around too much, Jasper. This picker's seen better days. When can I go up? Pam asked, tying her auburn hair up into a no-nonsense ponytail, a telltale sign that she was gung-ho to get down to business, not to mention the heavy fog was playing havoc with her curls. This isn't a carnival ride, Greg mumbled. Come off it, Greg, Pam said, tilting her cutesy head to one side in a gesture that suggested Greg was being pathetic, which he was. She knew his surly attitude towards her probably had to do with his numerous failed attempts to get into her jeans. Beer at Nick's, Greg bartered, openly eyeing her shapely body. Jesus, Pam muttered. She did not own a ladder, let alone a pair of stilts. Unfortunately, there was only one way up, and she knew it. One beer, she agreed, reminding her self-esteem that life in general was a negotiation, and that real reporters sacrificed pieces of themselves in order to get the story. And a dance, Greg added. And a dance, Pam said through clenched teeth. The sacrifice had better be worth it. Sistine Chapel worth it. Greg gave Pam a wink that said some day, whether she believed it or not, he would bed her. Then with that bit of sour business completed, Greg and Jasper Hancock climbed into the white fiberglass bucket and shuttled upward into the mist like a pair of pot-belly Aladdins. This brief time aloft was spent by two armchair athletes who did little more than scratch their heads and mutter several inappropriate expletives. Then, after what felt like forty-eight tense hours of waiting, it was Pam's turn to take what folks in these parts called a gander. The ride-up was bumpy, and Greg, being the pig that he was, used the hydraulic turbulence to fake stumbling forward so that he could rub his manhood up against Pam's posterior— her reply had been a sharp elbow to his bony chest. "'Kitten's got claws,' Greg said in a sarcastic tone. "'Fall on me again, and you'll fall out of this bucket,' Pam said, in a polite voice that had just enough edge to let him know that she would go good on that threat. "'Ease up, honey buns,' Greg said. "'I was just warming up for our dance.' Pam rolled her eyes in disgust as she readied her digital camera to capture that whispered curiosity. Again, she reminded herself that a position on LTV News waited at the end of the proverbial rainbow. After all, the Haven Bugle was just a stepping stone on her otherwise rocky career path towards something bigger and better, because being a TV news reporter with the number one media outlet in the Maritimes was where she truly belonged. She would even go as far as to say it was written in the stars. Therefore, she prescribed the foregone conclusion that her yellow brick road would inevitably lead to the coveted anchor desk, because it was, in fact, fate's calling. Not to say that she wouldn't have to work for it. No, she knew there would be sacrifices in order to grab the brass ring, and that was okay, because she could put up with things like odd hours, unforeseen issues, and yes, even horn dogs like Greg Boudreaux, because that too was something star reporters did— they sacrificed the self in pursuit of the story. The cherry-picker's bucket bounced to a halt, delivering an aspiring anchor with her sharp green eyes into a direct line of sight with that oddest of discoveries. And despite her self-purported professional attitude in regards to investigating a news story, she could not help but depart a soft gasp when finally confronted with that strangest of things. The serpent's jaws emerged from the haze, 
Its tall fangs, cast with the pitted iron, yawned silently into the firmament, its venom a corrosion of rusted metal. The snake's massive tongue forked its prongs to taste the air, the source of its voice lost within the dark hollows of its cavernous throat. Its eyes, mute but menacing, glared onward with predatory fascination. The serpent's soul, forged in armor, contained its ire within the bars of its prison, its bite stuck in a pose that would not release its sting to mortal flesh. Yet, despite its unnatural stillness, it nonetheless exuded an element of motion, its pretense given to attack. Atop its flat skull, a crown symbol lay carved into that hardest of obstructions. The mark was of evil, and its symbolism, while cryptic, nonetheless bore its favor. Beyond the serpent's glare, a snarling gargoyle lay in wait, its scaly head sculpted from that same texture of unyielding iron.